But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. All right, we're continuing our series through the book of 1 Corinthians here in chapter 3. Excited to be walking through this book this morning. We're going to look at how do you build a church? How do you build a church? Well, uh, recently, uh, me and uh, another family, we took a trip to Monticello and to Williamsburg to see the home of Thomas Jefferson and where, uh, you know, his home in Monticello and then where he spent a lot of his time over in Williamsburg. And one of the things that jump out to you about both of those places is how beautiful and how well built the homes were. I mean, like the detail and the refinement uh, of these homes, the architecture, the, the dome roof, like the, the details is, is amazing. And you just find yourself kind of staring at them thinking, how did they do this 200 years ago? 
They didn't have drills and, and big fancy tools and electric tools. How did they make all of this stuff? And how is it still standing some 200 years later? It, it's amazing. And, uh, and it's funny, I contrast that with uh, when I lived in Elizabethtown in Kentucky, there was this house that I would drive by almost daily. And when, when you look at it, it looked backward. And you just look at it, and it's like, I think this house is backward. And, but but the, there's the front door and, and everything. It's like, it's just, it was just a weird-looking house. And, and finally, I, I asked somebody about it who, who kind of was in the know, and they said, oh, yeah, when they built that house, they accidentally put the foundation in backward. And so then they were committed. They had to build the house back, literally facing away from the street. And so when you're looking at the house from the street, it was literally the backside of the house. It looked terrible. It was awful. Well, they didn't have a choice. They had to live in it. You know, beautiful buildings speak for themselves. Uh, when I was in Monticello, I stood in awe at the beauty of the, the countryside and the home and, and all that was built and how it was still standing. They speak for themselves and they, and they say something to you. But ugly, poor, constructed buildings not only repulse you, oftentimes they're, if they're poorly built, the storm comes by, they collapse, they fall in on themselves, and they hurt everyone inside. You know, the church, if the church is built according to the blueprint of God, then the church will be a thriving, worshiping, spirit-filled, God-honoring testimony to the resurrection and power of God to those who believe. And to the watching world will look at the church and, and see the beauty of the church and say, man, I don't know if all this Jesus stuff is true or not, but maybe I should reconsider as they look at the beauty of the church. But if the church is built poorly... And according to our own designs, and we lay our own foundations, not only will the church be ugly and unattractive to the world, it will hurt those inside as it collapses. You know, before we can even talk about how we build a church, we have to make sure we understand what the church is. We have to make sure we know what a church is before we talk about building a church. You know, when we ask that question, sometimes, you know, uh, what comes to our mind maybe is, is this song that we all learn. If you grew up in church, you learned this song. It goes like this, here's the church, not really a song, a little rhyme, a little jingle, I don't know what, do you, what you call this, but here's the church, here's the steeple, here's the, oh, I did it wrong, you got to turn your fingers inside, there we go. Here's the church, here's the steeple, there's the doors, open the doors, and there's all the people, right? We learned that growing up. And that is an innocent, sweet little thing that we are taught, but it underscores a fundamental misunderstanding about what the church is. You see, that little jingle reminds us, or it assumes and it teaches, that churches have steeples. That churches have doors. And if the churches have doors, therefore it has walls. It underscores the notion that churches are buildings. And generations of people have grown up being taught that the church is some building somewhere that we need to revere because that building is special. And we have seen that belief through the idea or the outworking of that idea leads us to say, tell them kids not to run in church. Stop it. You can't run in church. Stop it. It leads to the notion of, oh, don't wear a hat in the church. I remember my youth group got in trouble because we all got together one night and watched some non-Christian movie in the sanctuary. And we got in trouble because we defiled the sanctuary. And that leads to another point. We call it a sanctuary. 
that implies that somehow the space is somehow more sanctified, more holy than other spaces. You know, our church has even in its history perpetuated this idea that this building that is the church, one of the ways we saw that was when when I first got here, we introduced a, a Super Bowl auction where we... Everyone makes cookies and brownies and everything. We auction them off to raise money to send, help send our kids to, to camp every year. And, and some of us got upset about that uh, because they saw it as committing the same wrong that the money changers in the temple were doing when Jesus flipped over the money changers and whipped people and ran them out. And they did not want to, our church to do that, which if you believe that, then that's right to have that zeal. But we sat down, kind of talked through that, talked through that with those people, explained that why it wasn't the case. And I'll say those people who had all that zeal and were upset about that, uh, you know, their zeal, I think, was built on a faulty premise. And we talked through that, and now they, they understand. But their zeal was aimed in the wrong direction, right? Their zeal, their passion was aimed at the wrong direction. And it took maturity on their part to be able to learn and grow through that. But see, if the church is a building, is the temple of God, then yeah, we shouldn't be exchanging money over here like the money changers were. But if the church isn't a building, and the church isn't a steeple, and the church isn't a sanctuary, then what is the church? This whole chapter in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is talking about building the church. But it doesn't talk about the footers that you need to lay. It doesn't talk about the, the bricks that you need to build it with. It doesn't talk about the size and the dimensions. And the Bible does that in the Old Testament when it talks about building the temple. It tells you how big to build the temple, what materials to build the temple out of, exact, very clear specifications for how to build the temple. So why don't we get that in the New Testament when God tells us how to build a church? Because the church is not a building. Verse 16 do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I want to give you a brief theology of the presence of God so that we can begin to understand what the church is. You see, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? Like he's literally everywhere at all times and every moment. But God's presence, what the Old Testament calls his Shekinah glory, this special presence of God, is seen specifically and intentionally in different places at different times. It is first seen in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin in the world. The garden was the temple of God. That's where God dwelt with man and he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. But then sin enters the world and God uh, kicks them out. Because they can't stay in this place with God's special presence. And then, uh, fast forward in the Exodus, God tells them after they've escaped from Egypt to build a tabernacle. And they build this kind of portable temple, this tent made from human hands that is to very clear specifications. And this is where God's presence is. They literally saw the, the, this cloud come descend upon this tabernacle uh, the, the, where the, it showed the presence of God was in there. And Moses alone could go in there and speak to God. And when he'd come out, his, his face would be glowing red. And then, fast forward a little bit, they build a permanent one. They build the temple of God. And now God dwells in the temple and only the high priest. And only once a year can he go in to not just the inner part, but the inner inner part where God lived, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only that high priest could go. And only after he made a sacrifice for himself and sprinkled blood on him, then could he go in there and be in the presence of God. Well, fast forward to John chapter 1. 
where it's talking about Jesus, who is the Word, who is the creator of the world. Jesus, God, entered history. And what does it say? That he dwelt among us. And the word dwelt is uh, literally translated, he tabernacled amongst us. And so where is the presence of God now? Where is that Shekinah going now? It's in Jesus. He is the presence of God with us. God with us, as we say at Christmas. Emmanuel. But then Jesus leaves. And he says, i got to leave because I need to send you the helper, the paraclete, the one who will, will indwell you. And at Pentecost, Peter preaches, and the Spirit falls and fills us. And then what do the apostles tell us in the New Testament? That we are all little stones being built into a great temple unto the Lord. You see, this building does not house the presence of God. You do, if you're in Christ. And so we, as we gather together, are the temple, are the church, are the place where God is dwelling The church is not a building. But when the people of God, who have the Spirit living inside of them, gather together as the people of God, under the rule of God, we have the church. The church is the people of God gathered together to worship him, to learn from the scriptures. Our church building could burn down tomorrow. There could be nothing left of this building. It could be ashes. But yet Fellowship Baptist Church would remain because our church isn't this building. Our church is not composed of stonework in these walls, these floors. Our church is composed rather of the names of the people who have chosen to covenant together as Fellowship Baptist Church and gather together regularly. You see, write this down. The church is the gathered people of God. The church is the gathered people of God. So we, as the church, might choose to build buildings. We might choose to rent buildings. We might have construction projects. But the church we are actually building is not the one we need to raise money for, that we might pour the the, the footers and the foundation and build the walls. The church that we are building is people. From beginning to deepening their walk, the church is people. So the real church building program is not, a, is not a building campaign like we think of it. Our church began 51 years ago. And when a group of people got together, they rented a facility, they prayed, they committed themselves to the work of the Lord, opening the word of God, singing to God, and they said, let's build a church. And what they weren't thinking was, let's build a building. But let's build a group of people who will gather together and serve the Lord. So now here we are, 51 years later, still building on the foundation that was laid by those who came before us. Some of them are still in this room, praise the Lord. And we need to make sure that we know what we are building on the foundation that was laid before us. So there are four things in this text that we need to remember as we continue to build our church. And we continue to build it until the Lord comes home, right? This is a never-ending construction project that we build his church. Notice verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see, here's the first point you need to remember. The foundation is already set. 
The foundation is already set. Now, why is Paul bringing this up? This is a church. They should know what their foundation is. Paul is bringing this up because they have forgotten the foundation. In the opening verse of the chapter, he tells them that he wanted to address them as a mature believers with solid food, but he could not because they're still infants drinking milk. And he couldn't talk to him. Imagine it like this. When you take your kindergartner in for their kindergarten interview to, to make sure they're ready to go to kindergarten, the teacher's going to ask them some questions. Now, we're homeschooled, so I don't know what questions they ask. But I know one of them is that they ask them, do you know their ABCs? And some kids do and some kids don't, but that helps the teacher know where they're at and what, where to help them and the, to learn their ABCs so they can know that, know that before they move on to first grade and to begin to read. But imagine your ninth grader going to high school for the first time, goes to meet his teachers, and when he goes to the English class, they, uh, imagine the English teacher asking the absurd question in today's world, do you know your ABCs? What an absurd idea. What an absurd question. Because if a ninth grader does not know their ABCs, the teacher has nothing to do because he's, she's trying to hand out books. She's trying to hand out articles. And she, she's going to have to take him aside to teach him the very foundation and the basic principles of grammar before she, he can catch up to all these other people. She has to go back to the very beginning to relay a foundation before they can do anything else. And that is what Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church. He has a people who have forgotten the ABCs, the foundation of the faith. And Paul cannot build the walls or the roof because they have forgotten the foundation. He cannot speak to them as mature believers. He cannot talk to them in the way he wants to because they can't even read a book because they don't know the ABCs. You see, the foundation, Paul says, is Jesus. And he is not something we grow beyond. We do not grow beyond the ABCs of the faith. We grow deeper. We move from knowing our ABCs to be able to read sentences and then read paragraphs and then books and then harder books. In the same way, we, move, we don't move past the gospel, we move deeper into the gospel. That's not changing the foundation, that's, moving, that's not moving on to math, something completely different, but rather we are deepening the foundation of the ABCs, deepening the foundation of the gospel deeper in it. The foundation can only be Jesus. We do not have the right to change the foundation that has been laid. We only have the right to build upon it. But we have to be clear. When Paul says that the foundation of the church is Jesus, he doesn't mean whatever Jesus you choose to serve. He doesn't mean whatever your idea of Jesus is. He doesn't mean Jesus in some general vague sense. In some concept or idea. He doesn't by Jesus mean love. If he wanted to say love, he had a word for that. It's agape. He could have said agape. He didn't say agape. He said Christos. He knows how to say Jesus. He's not saying, oh, you know, you've got to, the foundation has to be love. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the foundation is Christ. The foundation of the church is the person and work of Jesus through the cross and resurrection. And we know this because Paul spent the previous two chapters talking about that when he came to them, he pretended to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? 
Not some vague idea of Jesus, but the work of Jesus, him crucified. The foundation of the church is who Jesus is and what he has done. It's important because we have churches today who make their foundation on a Jesus that does not match the Jesus from the scriptures. A Jesus that is all loving and accepting and disregarding of sin is a Jesus foreign to the Bible. A Jesus that is a culture warrior for 2023 politics is a Jesus that is foreign to the Bible. You might see a church sign that says that Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And that might sound like a church that's relevant for today, but it's not. A Mormon church might talk about Jesus, but it is not the Jesus of the Bible. The foundation of their church is not Jesus, rather it's Joseph Smith and his golden tablets. They have a Jesus who is not, as we would understand him to be God, of very God, of both God and man. They have a Jesus who was created and reached divinity status. It is a heresy that they've built their church on no foundation at all. And you see, that's part of Paul's point. He doesn't say you should build your church on Jesus who is the best foundation. He says Jesus is the only foundation because to build on anything else, his point is, is actually no foundation at all. And the church in Corinth was divided, right? We saw that last week. It's divided over personalities. It's divided over ministry preferences and philosophies. They forgot that preachers come and go. They forgot that preachers move on and die. Sunday school teachers come and go and die. Worship leaders come and go and die. Ministry and what it looks like today will be very different from what it looks like tomorrow because ministry strategy and philosophy come and go and change. Church buildings get built and then they get old and remodeled and then they get torn down. But the church here is divided. They are fighting all about these types of things. Just like churches today fight and divide and people leave churches with their feelings hurt and churches split over style of music, over their favorite programmings that got changed, over how the church changed tactics, over the new preacher, how he's not like the last guy. They leave over these things and they're always changing. Things that aren't meant to stay the same. There are divisions today just like back in Corinth. And when we are divided over such things, Paul reminds them and us that there is only one foundation, only one unchangeable, only one non-negotiable, only one irreplaceable foundation, and that is Jesus Christ and his bloody cross and his empty tomb. If you build a church on a program, or if you build a church on a personality, or if you build a church on common political views, or if you build a church on race, or on class, or on anything other than the gospel, It is no foundation at all, and it will fail. We do not have the right to change the foundation, but we are called to build on it. Verses 5 and 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Here's the second thing. Write this down. We build the church together with quality and eternity in view. Three, three key words there. We build the church together with quality and eternity in view. The Corinthians were playing politics. 
They were propping up their guy and their way of doing things, their model, because they thought that was the way to be most effective, and so they were divided over it. And I've seen so many churches lobby and fight and manipulate and politic and hurt people and try to rally support for their cause or their program and divide the church. But a divided church is, an, is, is not only an ineffective church at making disciples, that a divided church looks internal and it hurts people. There are different kinds of hurt in the world, but church hurt is one of the worst hurts you can ever feel. Because you go to a place where you expect to be loved and cared for and heard and valued and wanted. And if church hurt happens instead, you get ran over, you get betrayed, you get used, you get abused and trampled on. And so many people today refuse to go to church because one bad church hurt them. And that hurt is real and it's deep. And when we are divided, we do not serve the Lord. We serve the enemy. Because we are ineffective at accomplishing the mission of God, and we are effective at hurting people and pushing them away from Jesus. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us. And so as we continue building Fellowship Baptist Church on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his work, we have to build it together. Like we got to link arms together and build it together. And that means, as he talks about in the opening paragraph, not being a church full of jealousy and strife, verse 3. That means working together, building one another up, honoring one another, laboring with one another. That's Paul's point here. When he says, guys, it's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. We're just two guys, one planted, one watered, but we're both working toward the same end. Do not divide the church over us, over our slight differences in approach or personality. Stay united and work together. Work together. It means not having a my way or the highway approach or this is what I always do. This is my thing. This is how we have to do it. It means being incredibly humble. Being humble, working together to build something that loves and serves God and serves and loves people. Building the church has to be together. It has to be in unity or we won't serve the Lord, we'll serve the enemy. Look back at verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take, take care how you build on it. We have to take care how we build the church because the foundation is set. And we have to build on this foundation. And if you've ever played with Legos or magnet tiles, you know that if a foundation is one block wide... And you try to go up and build it out, it's going to fall. No matter how strong those little magnets are. It will collapse. We can build up. We can build in accordance with the foundation that is set. But that's it. We can't build something other than what the foundation calls for. So I think these two words are, are really helpful. Three words, really. Together, we build it together. But then we build it with quality and eternity in view, with quality and eternity in view. Guys, we live in a world that is obsessed with quantity, and it's hard for that not to trickle into us. We live in a world that wants more all the time, more money, more friends, more food, more football, can I get an amen, more fun, 
more in business, more clients, more sales. And in the church, that seems down to more buildings, more money, more people, more programs, more, 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 give me more. And if we build with the motivation for quantity, like we got to do whatever we got to do to get more people here, we will fail. We will fail because we will make decisions on what to do and what not to do based on what will get people here. And that is a recipe for disaster. In the church, there is, there's this old adage. I don't know how old it is, but people say this. What you win people with is what you win them to. And so if we win people to our church with fun and games, we've only, they will only stick around for continued fun and games. And I love fun and games. If we win people with rock concerts and really good music and lights and fog and moving lights and all this stuff, they will only stick around in as much as the music stays good and gets better. If we win people to a self-help message, a self-help message, then once we introduce them to the Bible, they will leave. We cannot set out asking the question, how do we get more people here? We must set out asking the question, how do we faithfully and biblically reach people with the gospel. You see, quantity cannot be our priority. Quality has to be our priority. And I, and I believe healthy things grow. We've seen that in our church. We've gotten healthier, and as we've gotten healthier, we've grown. Healthy things grow. And let me be clear about quality. I don't mean by quality that we have to have the best. We aren't looking for the best music and the best speakers. Sorry, you don't have the best speaker. The best programs. No, by quality, I mean faithful. I mean, we must sing and worship to music that is God-honoring, that is theologically rich, music that both teaches us truth about God, moves our hearts to gaze and wonder at His majesty and splendor. We must have Sunday school teachers and programming and ministries that seek to faithfully exposit and teach the whole counsel of God, pointing people to truth, helping them to form into faithful, full disciples of Jesus. We should be less concerned about building a big crowd and more concerned about faithfulness, about teaching and beholding what is true according to the Scriptures, about what is good according to the Scriptures, and what is beautiful according to the Scriptures. You know, early in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 5, this massive crowd, I mean, Jesus is getting, po getting super popular, right? And this huge crowd, I mean, thousands of people are coming in, and they want to hear, they're hanging on Jesus everywhere, they want to hear him, they're following him around, and the disciples are like, yeah, baby, we got this, the army is being built, we're about to take the Romans out, let's go, Jesus, keep, keep it coming, man, keep it coming, Jesus, they're coming, let's go, let's rally them in. And then Jesus gets up there and he says, everybody listen up. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they're like, yeah, see ya. I'm out. That's weird. That's weird. And the disciples are like, wait, no, stop. What are you doing? Jesus, why did you say that? Jesus, what are you doing? That was weird. No one wants to eat you. I don't even want to eat you. Why did you do that? Now they're all gone. Jesus, what's up, man? Well, why would you do that? Why do you have to be offensive? You scared them all off. But you know what? The disciples stayed. And eventually they understood that eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what that actually meant. And it changed their life forever. 
building a church on quality means building on the foundation that was laid. And we point people to the real, authentic, often offensive Jesus who calls men to come and die. If you want to find life, come and die and then live. Come confess your worst mistakes and find forgiveness through a man who was murdered and yet raised from the dead for you. That will scare some people off. We talked about it last week. That's a weird message. We believe in a dead Jewish guy, Jewish guy that came back to life to forgive us of our sins. That's a little, that's a little weird. It's a little weird. It just happens to be true. And that's going to scare some people off. That message is not going to draw a big crowd today. It's not popular. But those who stay, those who stay find life. Those who stay find joy and are changed forever. And that is a building on quality on the foundation that Jesus has laid. The other thing we must keep in mind before us is that we have to have eternity in view. We live in a culture that is all about the moment right now. We have a, a new saying amongst our culture, YOLO. You only live once. Live now. Live for the moment. Live for now. Now is all that matters. But we must build a church that's playing the long game. We are not living for this moment. We're living for eternity. And when we do that, it means that we care much more about people's souls than we do their comfort. It means that we live with urgency now as we go on mission to reach people with the gospel so that their lives can be changed and made whole. It means that we know the person you are now is not the person that God is making you into. Because God is making you, if you're in Christ, God is making you into something so beautiful and radiant and majestic that if you could see your future self right now, you would be tempted to bow and worship, C.S. Lewis said. And so we got to know our future selves and so have patience with our current selves and our current friends that aren't quite there yet. And so we're helping people reach their full potential in Christ as the person God is making them into. If we live with eternity in view, that means we're going to be together for a long time. Like we're going to hang out for a long time. And you know what that means? It means we should probably love each other now. It means we should probably forgive each other now. It means we should probably honor and build one another and care for one another now because we're going to be family forever. And we don't get to get rid of family. And if we live with eternity in view, that means that we're going to spend a lot less time investing in a world and in a kingdom that's going to crumble to dust. And we're going to spend a lot more time and energy investing in the people and in the church and in the mission of God because we know it's going to last forever. Like, you know, as a pastor, I, I often sit uh, with a lot of people who are living their last days, taking their final breaths. I've sat with a lot of people on death's door, and as I've talked with them, do you know what none of them have ever said? None of them have ever said, people who believe they're dying, I wish I'd have worked more. You know, I just wish I'd have went to work more than 40 hours a week. I just wish I'd have given my whole life. To, I wish I'd have worked more. No one ever says that. No one ever says that. They never say, man, you know what, I wish I made more money. I wish I made more money. They don't ever say that. You know what they do say? They say, I wish I spent more time with my family. They say, I, I wish I would have invested more in my kids. They say, I wish I would have been more serious about my faith. And I wish I would have shared the gospel. I don't know why I was so scared to do it. It seems so trivial now. I wish I would have done it more. I wish I would have went to church more. Because right now, that seems like all that matters. And everything else didn't. I wish I'd have loved and honored and cared for people better. 
I was always worried about me. On our deathbed, we get a look and a glimpse at the eternity that's before us, and all of a sudden, things come into clear focus, and we get perspective on what actually matters. And so let's not be a people who wait till our deathbed to realize how we should have lived now. Instead, let's live now investing in eternity and what's going to be our life forever. Because in the end, all of our work, he's clear, not our salvation. Our salvation is assured. It's secure in Christ. But all of our work, the things that we did in this life, the things that we chose to build, the things that we chose to invest in, they're going to be tested. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. The day will disclose it, because each, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So here's the third point. We should have humility because not all of our work will last. We should have humility because not all of our work is last, will last. Paul is showing us with this picture of, a bu- of building materials that some of our work, some of the things we build and invest in are going to last forever, and some are going to get burned up. Uh, the items on the list decrease in value and increase in flammability. Gold, silver, and precious stones are the building materials that are consistent with the same type of foundation that's been laid. And so if we build with those, they last. They get burned up with fire. You know what happens when you burn fire with gold? It gets more pure. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't melt. It doesn't change. It, it stays the same. But if we build with wood, hay, or straw, those works, those efforts, those investments, they cease to exist. They get burnt up. They are are not of the brand or quality of eternal value for the kingdom of God, and so they turn to nothing. For some reason, when I read this, I cannot help but think of the three little pigs. Maybe it's because my youngest daughter, the only story she ever wants me to tell her at night is the three little pigs. And if I try to tell her another story, she says, no, Daddy, tell me the pig one. And so... But I think about this, I think of the three little pigs, right? The first one built his house out of hay, and the big bad wolf comes and he blows it down. The next one built his house out of sticks, and the big bad wolf comes and he blows it down. But the third one was wise, and he built out of bricks. And when the wolf came, when that storm came, it didn't knock it down. The things we build, the works we do, the things we invest in here and now are like that. That's what Paul's saying. In the church, in our family, in our life, we have to build things that will last, right? Things that are going to survive, right? Things that are going to survive the day, the day of the Lord. When the Lord returns and he makes the whole world new again, then the things that we build, are they going to be a part of that kingdom of God, that new creation, that resurrected world? The things that we built now, are they going to make it there? Or are we gonna look, is God going to look at those things and go, nope, that doesn't, that doesn't survive. That doesn't make it. That was, not, that was built with hay. It's going to be burnt up. So let's invest and build now in our personal life, in our family life, in our church with eternity in mind. Now let's be clear. Every person will have works, things that we have built that won't last. Every one of us have built things in our life and will that are going to get burnt up on that day of the Lord and they're not going to last. They're of the wrong quality. They're of the no significant eternal value. We're all going to have that. 
And that should give us humility. It should give us pause now to make us think. Like, like let's be really clear. Like I was reading, I was, in 2 Timothy, I'm teaching on Wednesday nights, and, and Paul is telling Timothy, kind of, he's on his, Paul's on his deathbed. He's about to be executed, and he knows that. And he's been convicted. And he's telling Timothy these things. And one of the things he says is, imitate me. And he talks about his conduct, his teaching, and his aim in life. And that's kind of the idea here. What's your aim in life? Like, what are you aiming at? You know, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Right? But are you aiming at anything in your life? Like, are you building anything that you know is going to last? Are you aiming and intending to, to build something with your life that will make it for eternity? Because how rewarding is that, right? Like, I think about Monticello and these houses that are 200-some years old. These guys built these things, and they look great. They've lasted the test of time for a little bit of time. Versus some guy that builds a house like, like after World War I, this, uh, this guy had torn down all these historical homes and he built these houses. And they made it 40 years and everybody, they, they were falling down. And they turned on this builder and they got all mad at him. Do we want to build things that are going to rot and collapse and not last? Or do we want to build things, build our family, build our church, build our lives on things that a billion years from now, with the B, when we are living it up in a new creation, in a resurrected life, that the things we built are still around. Hey, I did that. By the grace of God, I built that and it's still here. I invested in that and it's still here. There is nothing worse than doing a project, building something, going to work on something, for only to realize that you'd been doing it all wrong or you had to undo it all, and like all those hours were wasted, and all that time and effort you spent on building this thing or working on this thing is, is, is moot, right? There is no worse feeling than to see all of that wasted effort. But there's also no more rewarding feeling to build something that lasts. There was a study done a while back about purpose, and this company hired five guys uh, uh, and they, who needed jobs. These guys were, were unemployed, needed jobs. They paid them really well. Uh, and they said, we want you to go out and we want you to, to from, from, you know, nine to five, you're going to dig a trench. This deep, this long, whatever, you dig a trench. They said, okay, yeah. They did it. They got paid. Uh, and then the next morning, they come back out and the trench had been filled in. All the dirt that they had dug out had been put back in the hole. They said, hey, guys, we need you to do it again. And so they're like, okay. And they go and they dig the trench all day, get paid, go home. Come back the next morning, it's filled in again. They said, hey, guys, I need you to dig the trench again. Three of them quit. The two guys keep going. Same thing, get paid, come back the next day. Hey, guys, I need you to dig the trench again. And then they quit. They didn't want to do it. They were getting paid. They were taking care of their family. Why did they quit? Because it was purposeless. It wasn't lasting. They, didn't, they were investing all this time and energy into nothing. And we do the same thing. All of us, we invest time and energy into things that are purposeless and will not last, like digging a hole that gets filled back in every night. Wouldn't we much rather build things that will last forever? Wouldn't we rather invest and care for and build things that will last forever that don't get burned up? So guys, we got to be humble we got to be thoughtful. we got to be diligent. we got to know where we're aiming. Know that we have already invested poorly and that we don't want to keep doing that. And so we want to move forward with, and build a sort of church and build people and build things in our family and in our lives that will survive the day of the Lord and last forever. If we don't keep this before us, we will build with the wrong materials. 
if we do not keep this idea before us of quality and eternity and togetherness, it is possible that we think we are killing it. Guys, as a church, we can look at ourselves and think, man, we have got it together. We are killing this. We are growing. And we can look at every available metric in society and think, man, we have got it going on. But when the day of the Lord comes and our church is tested by fire, we can think we're killing it and we got it all together and the whole thing get burnt down. The whole thing didn't make it, consumed by the flames of judgment, and it'll all be for naught. Because we built something that was wrong. Like, that's going to happen to Joel Osteen. He's built a church with thousands and thousands and thousands of people on a foundation that is rocky. That's no foundation at all. Built walls and a ceiling and a church, not on the gospel but on a heretical message of prosperity. It's going to get burned up. He's put all this effort in a church, and he's got his reward now, but it won't be forever. What are we building? I think that's why verses 18 through 23 are here, to remind us not to judge our work by the standards of the world, by the metrics and values of the world, but rather to judge them by the values of the Scripture with eternity in mind. When he says, let no one deceive uh, himself. If anyone among you think he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. So let no one boast in men. He says, become a fool according to the world's judgment, that you might be wise in the sight of God. And in case it wasn't hard enough, he even says in verse 20, that our thoughts and our motives for why we do things, like the motivation for why we choose to do things, will also matter, right? So it is entirely possible that we build and invest and do the right sort of things, but our motivation is wrong, our motivation is selfish or arrogant, or I want attention, and so all of that work, though good, is tainted, and so some of it might get burnt up. Humility is required of us, or else we might get up here and sing and worship, but deep down we want not the glory of God, but the glory of myself. We might teach in Sunday school, hoping people to see us as smart. Uh, we might serve, hoping that people notice how much we do for the church and how much we serve and all the things that we do, and we want attention and recognition. All of this should produce in us a humility and a diligence that we might work hard and well and humbly for our great King. I want to end on this final note, though, in the sense that, so we have to build a church on the right foundation of Jesus and his work. We have to build it together, linked arms together. We have to build a quality and eternity in view. We've got to build the right things. We've got to build with eternity in mind. Like we're trying to make disciples. Like we can have fun. We can do th fun things. But we gotta, our goal is to make disciples. And our, we mess it up, and it's going to be judged. And sometimes we build with the wrong things, and, and sometimes our motivation is wrong. But here's the final note of encouragement, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Last point, we can work for the Lord with confidence knowing that God will build his church. We can work with confidence knowing that God will build his church. One plants, one waters, but God makes it grow. 
Guys, this is such a burden lifted off of our shoulders because while we have a part to play in building God's church, while we get to be tools in the Redeemer's hands, used by God for great things, the end result, the fate of the church, the growth, the salvation of souls is not on us. God makes it grow. Did you know that when you plant a seed in the ground and water the seed, that the kernel, the husk of the seed itself has to die? in order for the plant to grow. Did you know that? The kernel, the the seed has to break down, it has to rot, it has to die so that the plant may grow and have new life from its broken dead husk. And isn't that just like God to put on display in creation itself a deeper truth for our lives? Because how does the church grow? How do we grow? How do we have life? But only through the death of Christ may we live. And through this crucified and risen Christ, God has built his church. And oh, what a beautiful church it is. And I'm thankful we get to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning that we have gotten to be a part of your church, what you are doing here in 2023 at Fellowship, and that we get to be a part of building on a foundation of a crucified and risen Christ. Father, this is a text that gives us great pause and warning that what we do as a church matters that we've got to do the right things in the right ways, that we've got to have a vision for what you have called us to do in the scriptures, that we've got to build disciples, that we've got to see people converted, that we've got to build faithfulness. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be faithful at that on the day of the Lord, that when we look back at all the works and all the things that we did, that we would look back and it would not be burned up, but that our work made it, that we built a church that would last, that we built lives and families and things that last. Father, there are some people in this room that are not even a part of this conversation because they're not in you. They're not in Christ. They've not bowed their knees to Jesus as Lord. Maybe they've been very far from you. Maybe they've been pretty religious, but they've not said, Jesus, you're my king and my life has been changed by what he has done. And so they're not even building their life or their family on the foundation that is Christ. And today, guys, that can be different. That can all change. And if that's you this morning, we're going to sing this song, and I'm going to stand over here to the left. And I want to invite you to come up and say, Brent, my, my life's not built on the foundation of Christ. And I want to change that. Will you help me do it? And it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your mistakes. The, the enemy is going to whisper in your ear that you're a failure, that, you, that you're too far gone, that you can't do it, or that you need to make up for some things first. She's going to say to you, you need to get your life cleaned up, and then you can come build your life on Christ. No, that is a lie. The gospel says that we come as we are, broken and filthy, and God alone can clean us up. God alone can forgive us. God alone can make us whole. And all of us in this room who have come to Christ, that's our story. That's our story, that we came broken and frail, and you've made us whole, you've forgiven us, and now you've begun to use us. And so God, use us to build your church. Use us to make disciples. Use us to reach people with the gospel. And for those in this room who, that's not your story yet, I pray today, God, that you'd give them the strength to change this story and turn to you. If you're here this morning and you need to pray about anything, I'd love to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you want to pray for our church in a unique, special way, I want to invite you to just come forward and and kneel here before the front and and pray for our church. Whatever you need to do this morning, respond as the Lord would lead you. Father, we are thankful for our church. 
and what you are building through us. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, let's stand together.